welcome back to the Locked On Dimebacks podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you're here for National Beer Day, you came to the right place. We're talking all about Seth Beer's walk off next. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Of course, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. This is the first podcast I am doing off a of tall boy because I had to crack open a beer on National Beer Day. I'm recording this at 10.35 p.m. right after the Seth Beer walk-off. I record segment number two and segment number three before the game. That will be very important later, but I'm recording this part of the podcast, the early part of the podcast, after the game because I am pumped. I am hyped up. Seth Beer on National Beer Day. I gotta say it twice with the walk-off bomb. Three-run shot. I was I was going to do this post-game pod regardless of that walk-off or not, but I was ready to come on here three beers deep, just being super pessimistic about the D-backs, being super pessimistic about the pitching, especially Mass Bumgarner, Luke Weaver, but no, none of that matters. Seth Beer hit a walk-off home run after a pretty unceremonious game for most of it where the offense wasn't doing anything, the pitching was struggling. Nothing was working for the D-backs most of the game. It was honestly a pretty boring game for most of it, but everything changed in that ninth inning once the Padres put in Suarez, who was, I'll give him, he was pumping triple digits consistently. The dude was throwing 99 and 100 consistently, but he could not locate those pitches. Maybe it's a big reason or a big example why we don't see the D-backs with their own triple-digit guy because uh, it's tough to locate those pitches. I really don't think that's the reason. I wish we had a guy that could throw triple digits, but... That dude, Suarez, he struggled mightily. He was throwing pitches in the dirt up high. He put a couple people on. He had a wild pitch as well. Seth Beer, basically all those batters in that ninth inning, they just went up to the plate and they said, we're not moving this bat off our shoulder. We're going to make Suarez throw strikes. And the first two guys, I think he only threw one strike. Carson Kelly came up. The first pitch he saw was a ball high and tight, and it just barely got the corner of the plate. I'm sure he was like, why am I the guy to come up to the plate and get this pitch? But sorry, Carson Kelly, you were that guy tonight. But he still ended up having a pretty productive at-bat as well, getting on base. And then you get Seth Beer on. That wild pitch comes, one score, uh, one run scores, or I think that might have been with Carson Kelly. I'm, I'm confusing batters here, but it does not matter because Seth Beer came up, and you're gonna, I'm going to talk about I always try to say we. It's just me on here. I'm going to talk about Seth Beer in segment number three because he's going to come up in the D-backs predictions for uh, next season because the rest of this podcast I probably should have mentioned in the cold open. We are previewing game two in segment number two, and then we're doing D-backs predictions in segment number three where I say, you know, team awards, basically. The MVP, the non-Ketel, 
Marte MVP, the breakout player of the D-backs this season, stuff like that. So we'll talk about that in segment number two and number three. So Seth Beer is going to come up in segment number three. But tonight, Seth Beer, he got one base hit earlier in the game. Like I've been saying, this dude is an offensive superstar, and he continued to show it again tonight. Glad to see he was in DH. And I've also said he was probably going to cut into Pavin Smith's playing time. And at least for one game, that's not going to be true because Pavin Smith had a pretty solid game. He had a walk, I think, in one at bat and another single. I thought Pavin Smith was solid tonight. I saw you out there, buddy. Don't think I forgot about you. But Seth Beer was definitely the star of the night with that bomb. It was a ball that was kind of low. He poked at it, and he crushed it because he's got major power. The energy was fervent in Chase Field tonight. I was not there, but watching it through the TV, that's why I like to assume the energy was crazy there. Um, I know my energy here in the apartment was crazy after that Seth Beer home run, but I guess we should talk about some of the negatives from this game. I I don't want to talk about the negatives because, believe me, I tweeted right before that Seth Beer moment, whatever happens at the end of this game is going to be an omen for the rest of the season, and the baseball gods have spoken. It will be a good D-back season. Will that end in a playoff um spot will that end in a wild card spot or will that just end in a competitive season where the d-backs win maybe 80 games go 80 and 82 and just uh just lose and just have a competitive season though while they lose so i don't know i don't know but i still would put my money between 70 and 75 wins and still having a pretty semi-competitive uh season but let's talk about the rest of the game because as high as i was based off that seth beer moment For the first three hours of this game, my emotions and energy were super low because of the pitching, mostly from Madison Bumgarner and Luke Weaver, because Madison Bumgarner just was not good. And they always say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, this is the third straight opening day start for Madison Bumgarner against the San Diego Padres. And guess what? In the first two starts, I think he has an ERA over eight. He has like nine earned runs and 9.2 innings pitch. Like he hasn't been good and he was not good tonight either. He, what, was done after three innings, I believe. It might have been four. I should have probably written the number down, but this was someone who cracked 93 miles an hour in the first inning. I saw Steve Gilbert of MLB.com tweeting about it because that's a big mark. The velocity is something everyone's tracking when it comes to massive Bumgarner. So seeing 93 in the first inning was very impressive, but guess what? After the first inning, Masson Bumgarner didn't crack 93 again for the next two innings. And guess what? By the third inning, he wasn't even cracking 92 miles an hour. That velocity fell off quickly. And it just, by looking at my notes, I just uh, reminded myself, he only went three innings tonight. He threw 68 pitches. Only 37, only 37 of the pitches were strikes. In that third inning, he walked, uh, was it? He walked three straight batters after Two outs. There were two outs in that third inning, and the Madison Bumgarner walked three straight batters. And these are the counts on those three batters. This is how those counts started off in those at bats. One and two to that first batter he walked. Oh and two to that second batter. And then oh and two again to that third batter. He had two strikes early in the count and with all three batters with two outs, and he was not able to get them out. So Madison Bumgarner, even though he only allowed one earned run, was just walking dude after dude and even walked in a run. So he did not look good. And so Toy Lavella was like, hey, let's switch it up here. Huh? Let's do something different here. Huh? So he brought in Luke Weaver. And 
We are all hoping because I've talked about who's going to be talked about in segment number three. He's going to get an award because there's a lot of pressure on Luke Weaver this season. I'm not saying it's a make or break season for Luke Weaver, but there's a lot of pressure on him uh, because he was probably that headliner from that Paul Goldschmidt trade I always talk about. And he just seems to be regressing right now, which is not a good thing. Luke Weaver tonight gave up quick three hits when he came into the ball game and an earned run. And one of the reasons he was moved to the bullpen was because of his velocity concerns. And those concerns are going to continue after, after tonight because his fastball averaged only 92.4 miles per hour, which is very concerning. Some hope I, I'm hoping he can snap out of it, but if Brent Strom can't fix Luke Weaver, uh, yeah, there's going to be another team trying to fix him probably next offseason into the regular season, and then we'll see how that experiment goes. Overall, D-backs offense pretty quiet against you, Darvish. Of course, Darvish had a no-hitter through six innings. I wouldn't say he was exactly dominant because Darvish himself only threw 52 strikes on 91 pitches, four walks, three strikeouts, but the D-backs offense just didn't look good. I think it was more of the lineup that didn't look good. They looked pretty pedestrian most of the game. We got a few good at-bats in there. I mentioned Paven Smith. David Peralta had some fantastic at-bats against you, Darvish. But overall, the offense was just pretty quiet until that ninth inning when, again, it really wasn't the D-backs offense that did anything. It was mostly the the Padres' ninth inning woes that 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 did them in. Like The Padres just love to collapse and choke. Like Let's get the Reggie Miller gift going because that's what happened with the San Diego Padres tonight. And overall, the game, I think another takeaway you can have from this game, another positive you can have is just the bullpen because you basically saw five to six relievers tonight. You basically got to evaluate the whole bullpen that's not Ian Candy or Mark Melanson. And outside of Luke Weaver, I think the bullpen was Pretty good, actually. Like, it was a two-run game in the bullpen. Outside Luke Weaver didn't give up any more earned runs. A lot of high-leverage moments. And the bullpen was able to come through. Like, somehow, a 40-year-old pitcher who was ready to retire to the Mexican League is pitching for this D-backs team in Oliver Perez with a very unorthodox style of pitching. And he looked very good tonight. He looked very comfortable at the plate. Or not at the plate. On the mound. So, We'll see how he holds up for the rest of the year. We'll see if his body, you know, breaks down being a 40-year-old pitcher. But so far, so good for the bullpen. I was very impressed. And we didn't even have to unleash Mark Melanson, Mark the Shark Melanson, or Ian Kennedy. So very good job by the bullpen. Very great job by Seth Beer on that walk-off home run. Wish the starting pitching was better. Wish Luke Weaver was better. But hey, let's hope we can keep this energy going tomorrow because we are going to preview Game two against the San Diego Padres. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar because I think Seth Beer ate a Built Bar to get that power right before that walk off at bat because this is the time of year. I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right because of Built Bar. And have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, they're infused with marshmallow, they're fluffy, they're delicious, and like all Built Bars, they're covered in 100% real chocolate, soft and easy to chew. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for that keto diet. Just go to build.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, all right, all right. 
let's get back into the Diamondbacks podcast because now I want to discuss game two of the series against the San Diego Padres. And you guys might be wondering, why am I wearing a different shirt? It's because I recorded part one of this podcast, the first segment of the of the podcast after the D-backs game, after the D-backs opener. So this is part two of the podcast. I'm recording it in all honesty. I'm recording this before the game starts. So the first part of the podcast you heard, that was after the game. I'm not sure how, how I'm even on during that part of the podcast. I might be lit. I might be drunk. I don't know what's going on. So I'm sorry for any shenanigans that part one Miller Thomas might have caused, but part two Fully sober, Miller Thomas is here because I expect to drink a couple beers uh, before this game. So I might be a little lit for the for that first segment, but you guys probably already know, probably already heard that. So for segment number two, I want to discuss game two of this series against the Padres because, like I said, this is being recorded before the game even starts. So I don't know how game one went. This version of Millard does not know how game one went. So I'm going to talk about the game like I don't know how last night went because I don't know how it went. So looking at the game for the D-backs, looking at game two of the series against the Padres, we're going to get Merrill Kelly on the bump for the D-backs against Sean Manaya, the newly acquired pitcher for the Padres. I'm a little surprised it's not Joe Musgrove. I think one of the reasons it's not Joe Musgrove is because they're just trying to keep their normal rota- their normal rotation going from spring training, the schedule that they were already on. But coming off last season, I was like, how is Joe Musgrove not their opening day starter? He's the best pitcher on their staff. You Darvish post sticky stuff didn't look great last season. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to look against the D-backs. You already know that answer if you're listening to this podcast. But I'm just a little surprised Joe Musgrove is not going either of the first two games of the series against the D-backs, but we got Sean Manaya on the mound, and he is a lefty pitcher. So it's going to be, you know, the D-backs are a lineup full of lefties. They are a very heavy lefty lineup. So it makes you wonder whether the D-backs are going to switch it up, try to put another right-handed batter in the lineup. But the crazy thing about the D-backs, this is something I've talked about in the past, even though they're a lineup full of lefties, they actually do better against left-handed pitching. If you look at their splats from last season as a team, they actually did better against left-handed pitching despite being a team full of lefties. So to me, the really the issue is why are they not better against right-handed pitchers? I really don't understand why. But since this is a lineup full of lefties on paper, that's going to look weird against a lefty pitcher. I think the D-backs might go start another right-handed batter in their lineup. I think that player might be Cooper Hummel, who's really the only player on the bench that's a right-handed batter that the D-backs could insert. This would have been Jordan Luplo's opportunity to shine if you guys listen to that NL West roundtable. There was way more Jordan Luplo discussion than I thought. Yes, I know I brought him up, but Jeff Snyder of Locked On Dodgers kept pounding the Jordan Luplo discussion, so it was not me, so I don't have to apologize for anything, but Jordan Luplo injured on the 10-day injured list, I believe. So Cooper Hummel, who was acquired in that Eduardo Escobar trade, if you remember, he's been crushing it on the minor league level. Uh, Been doing pretty well in spring training as well. So Cooper Hummel could get a look in the outfield or maybe at DH we'll see. So for me, really the question is, who is going to sit tomorrow if Cooper Hummel starts? Because I'm looking at either David Peralta, Seth Beer, or Peven Smith as one of the people that will potentially sit down with the lefty on the mound. So I wonder who it's going to be. 
Hopefully, this podcast is now dated because one of those three players got hurt, so it makes the decision easier for Tori Lovello. So I'm hoping this podcast still stays evergreen. But let's actually talk about Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya, I think it's pronounced, and the matchup because Manaya is someone the D-backs have only faced three times in Manaya's entire career. And so far, I guess you could say the D-backs have gone the better Manaya, but not most recently. Over the course of Manaya's career, the D-backs have 15 innings against Manaya, and Manaya has given up seven earned runs, two home runs for a 4.2 ERA. But if you just look at last season, what Manaya did against the D-backs, he went six innings pitched, zero earned runs, and two hits allowed. He absolutely shut down the D-backs lineup last season. So is he going to do it again, or are we going to get a start from Manaya that's more Similar to what he did those first two starts where he struggled against the D-backs. But maybe he's a new guy. He's only 30 years old. Could be in the prime of his career. So this just might be a better version of Manaya. And the guy that we saw last year might be the peak Manaya, Or maybe we're about to see the peak Manaya now that you could say he's potentially in a better rotation with the Musgroves and the Darvishes and the Blake Snells of the world. So we'll see if that extra protection can actually boost Manaya's talent and ability. But Overall, Manaya is a guy who likes to go with his sinker. He's mostly a sinker ball pitcher. Sinker ball sits around 92 miles an hour, so it's probably going to be a lot of ground balls for the D-backs tomorrow if he's on his game. He likes to go with the changeup as his second most used pitch with the nasty curveball after that. And Manaya is just one of those guys that the D, the, not the D-backs, the Padres acquired right before the start of the season because A.J. Preller, I don't know if you listened to the podcast that we had with Javier Reyes or the NLS Roundtable, but everyone felt like AJ Preller just kind of sat on his hands this offseason. He did go out there and get Luke Voigt, but before this past weekend, we were like, man, the Padres really didn't do much this offseason. They didn't get off the Will Myers or Eric Hosmer contract. They really didn't bring anyone back. But right before the start of the new MLB season, AJ Preller was like, bump all that. I forgot who I am. Let me get back to my core. So he went out there and he was really aggressive before the start of the season. He went out there and got Luke Voigt, who I think is going to be a nice compliment to Eric Hosmer because you could play Luke Voigt against lefties and Eric Hosmer against righties or, you know, maybe play them both and put one of them at DH. They also went out and got Sean Manaya, who's a very good pitcher. He's not a ace or anything like that, but number two, number three. He's probably a mid-tier number two or an elite number three, I want to say. You know, I don't know too much about Sean Manai, so if you think I'm wrong, you know, just hit me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. And they just traded Chris Paddock away, who was a pretty stable part of their rotation the last couple of years. But since their rotation has so much depth, they were able to make that move. And in return, they ended up bringing back Taylor Rogers from the Minnesota Twins, who is coming off an all-star appearance. He's got some saving ability and saving experience as well. So I like the moves that the Padres made at the last minute before the start of the season. I think it will improve their team, but those moves do not matter because tomorrow on the mound for the D-backs is someone who I wish was on the mound for game one, which is Merrill Kelly because Merrill Kelly against the Padres. Guess what? Merrill Kelly owns the San Diego Padres in Merrill Kelly's career or not his career. Merrill Kelly last year against the San Diego Padres, three starts, 16 innings pitch, four earned runs, 2-2-5 ERA, 14 strikeouts, zero walks allowed, 
Merrill Kelly might be back to that 2020 form. If you look at what he did during spring training, seven innings pitched, zero earned runs, 13 strikeouts in spring training. Now, I don't want to take too much out of spring training because I would have told you J.B. Braskakis was going to be the pitcher of the year for the D-backs coming out of spring training last season. But the difference is, at least I've seen flashes of brilliance by Merrill Kelly during that 2020 shortened season. I've discussed it many times. It was a real argument who was the better pitcher for the D-backs rotation, Zach Allen or Merrill Kelly at the time Merrill Kelly was healthy. It was very nice to see him at least be healthy for basically the whole year last year. He had COVID for a little bit, but he was there to start the season after that thoracic outlet surgery. A little bit better in the second half, but after seeing what he did in spring training and knowing he's owned the Padres for his career, I think this is going to be a really convincing and a really dominant start by Merrill Kelly. I'm not saying eight innings, no hitter, 10 strikeouts, but can I see six innings, two earned runs, seven strikeouts? One walk, I could definitely see that. I think Merrill Kelly's going to have a very strong game, and he's also at home. His splits are way better at home. He's no Blake Snell, but 3-7-8 ERA at home last season. Merrill Kelly's fastball during spring training has been sitting in the mid-90s. So I'm I we're going to talk about Merrill Kelly in my D-backs predictions and awards for this upcoming season in segment number three, but... I think Merrill Kelly is in for a fantastic season, and I think it could start against the San Diego Padres tonight. Now, I want to talk to you guys about Bet Online because if you want to bet on Merrill Kelly having a great season, this is where you need to go. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's get back into the podcast. And I got some predictions for the D-backs this upcoming season. Basically, team awards, I think. Uh, I'm basically handing out, before the 2022 season, team awards. I think these players are going to win throughout the season. It's not like MVP of the, of the season. It's like who I think the D-backs MVP is going to be, who I think the D-backs best pitcher is going to be, the breakout star of the D-backs. So hopefully that makes sense. So let's just jump right into it. I hate having to explain what I'm about to do. I'm really bad at explaining I know that's a sign of like intelligence and emotional intelligence and communicative intelligence. So I need to be better at communicating with you guys because I'm terrible at explaining some of the segments that I want to do. But we are giving out team award predictions. So let's start it off because I do too much talking and babbling sometimes. So MVP of the D-backs for the 2022 season. We all know who this is going to be. I had to put this one down just because I needed to say it out loud so the universe can hear me, it will be Quetzal Marte. No surprise, no shock, but he needs to play, what, at least 140 games this season for him to win this award for the D-backs because he's that good. He can win MVP of the entire Major League Baseball, but he has to be healthy to do it because that's not something he's been able to do the last couple of years. So hopefully we get a full season of a healthy Quetzal Marte breakout position player. 
Another one that's not shocking, but I got Dalton Varsho. You guys have heard me so many times talk about, man, that second half breakout by Dalton Varsho. It was legit last season what he did in the second half. I, From what I saw in 2020 in the first half of last year, I was like, I, I don't know if Dalton Varsho got it. I don't know if the prospect rankings were right. I don't know if the scouts were right. Uh, I think he might be maybe a little overrated at this point. But after seeing that second half breakout last year, I'm back in on the Dalton Varsho bandwagon, and I think he could be or is going to be the breakout player of the season for the D-backs. My sleeper player for the D-backs this season, my dark horse of who could have a fantastic year, is Seth Beer. As I've talked about before, he's been great at every level of his career, college, minor leagues, major leagues, spring training. This dude absolutely crushes. The D-backs are not a team with a lot of offensive talent, especially not in that power department. After Ketel Marte, we'll be lucky if anyone else can hit 18 home runs. So Seth Beer, if he's someone that's in the DH, maybe full-time, 130 games, I I would not be surprised at all if he hits 28 bombs. 80 RBIs and around 280 average because that's the kind of work he's put in at every level so far of his career. (coughs) Excuse me. I just had like a random cough because I think I was talking too fast and too much. But next up, my player with the most pressure on them this season. I think this is another easy one, but I'm going, and these are, I'm doing position players first and then I'm going to do pitchers. But the position player I think with the most pressure on them this season is Paven Smith. I think it's a make or break season for Paven Smith. I think he was the first uh, the first round pick for the D-backs back in 2017. He's kind of just plateaued as a player. Like he's not bad, but there's no power. It's a lot of hard ground balls. His defense is not very good. He's not that athletic. It's just like he doesn't bring enough of an offensive ceiling or defensive ceiling. It's like, what is his strength to keep him in in the lineup? Does he at least have power? Does he sell out for home runs? Can he at least steal me 40 bases? Is he at least a Nick Ahmed level defender in the outfield? All those answers are no. He's just a good contact hitter with good play discipline, but he still strikes out a decent amount as well. So Paven Smith has a lot of pressure on him this season. And then the second half position player to watch this year, another easy one, Alec. Thomas, this was Sully's pick to win NL Rookie of the Year. I don't think he's going to do that because I don't know if he'll play enough games, but I think this is someone to really watch after May, probably June on. I think this is someone that's going to be huge. Right before the All-Star break, I think, is when he's going to start getting his opportunity. And then after the All-Star break, he might be the full-time outfielder for the D-back. So he's someone I think we should really expect to have a huge second-half breakout because if it's like, man, Paven Smith is struggling, who would I rather have? Who, who would I rather give the opportunity to? Paven Smith or Alec Thomas? If Paven Smith is not playing well, I'll probably rather give it to Alec Thomas. So he's someone that I think we have to keep our eye on in the second half. But now let's move to pitchers. So who is going to be the Cy Young pitcher for the D-backs? Who's going to be our best pitcher this season? Another one that's not surprising or shocking at all. I got Zach Gallon. If he's healthy, he's by far the most talented pitcher on the staff in the rotation. I love Zach Gallon. He is the freaking man. He had, of course, the longest streak of allowing three earned runs or fewer to start your major league career. He was kind of hurt last season. Didn't look that great when he was healthy. But now with Brent Strom, watch out for Zach Gallon. He might not just be the Cy Young Award winner for the D-backs. He just might be the Cy Young Award winner for Major League Baseball. Just like a Ketel Marte who could win MVP. The breakout pitcher for the D-backs this season. This one might not be as obvious, but this is the man who I talked about earlier, Merrill Kelly, because I think, like I said, we saw glimpses of the breakout during the 2020 season, and then he got hurt. He had to get surgery. 
And guess what? I think last season was the ramp up year. Start to build strength back, get comfortable on the mound again. And then I think this season we'll, we'll get back to that 2020 Merrill Kelly. I think Merrill Kelly is going to pitch like a 3-4, 3-5 year rate this season. Have like around 160 to 175 innings pitch. Not a ton of strikeouts, but limiting the hard contact and not putting a lot of people on the bases. I absolutely love Merrill Kelly entering 2022. My sleeper pitcher for the D-backs, kind of a weird one, Sean Hoppin, someone who's still 28 years old. We know that D-backs bullpen, you know, made a nice couple of, uh, made Mike Hazen made a nice couple of additions with Ian Kendi and Mark Melanson, but I still don't think it's a very stable bullpen. We'll see what Luke Weaver could do. Hopefully he can help stabilize a little bit, but that's where Sean Poppin comes in because this spring training, he's looked really good. Again, don't want to make too much of spring training, but 7.1 innings pitch. 10 strikeouts, two walks allowed, and he's a guy with mid 90 sinker. So even though he doesn't throw a hard fastball, he's sitting like 94 miles per hour on his sinker with a slider and changeup combo. Maybe he's someone that's like a six inning middle reliever, you know, games tied. You just need someone to get a hold and just keep the game moving along. Watch out for Sean Poppin to maybe be a really important piece out the D-backs bullpen. I'm not saying as a setup guy, but as someone that could come in in high leverage moments and keep the game close without allowing earned runs. The pitcher with the most pressure on them, I think this one is very easy. I think it is Luke Weaver. I mean, the man was yanked from the rotation what more do I have to say? I think Luke Weaver has a longer leash of at least being a, an active player of the D-backs than like a Paven Smith because I think you could use him as a reliever. And I think there's just more talent and more upside with Luke Weaver when you view him as a player as opposed to Paven Smith. Like, I don't think anyone's like, man, the, the, the tools on Paven Smith, if he could just put it together, it'll all work out for him. No one's really saying that. But for Luke Weaver, there's always the excuse Man, look at his stuff. You just got to get the right guy in there to coach him. And now we got Brent Strom. So if Brent Strom can do it, the D-backs might just say, hey, it's a sunk cost. He could be our bullpen guy. But there's no more Luke Weaver in the rotation. But I would not be surprised at all if Luke Weaver earns his rotation spot back with several good bullpen performances. And then the second half pitcher to watch. I thought about putting J.B. Briscockis here, but I was like, he's going to come off the 60-day injured list. I don't know how he's going to look. So I'll go with another player from that Zach Greinke trade in Corbin Martin. He hasn't looked great this spring training. He didn't look great on the major league level last season, but he's on the roster. The D-backs are probably going to give him a few opportunities. Might even get a couple spot starts. He'll probably be more of a long reliever to start the season, but... I'm really hoping by the second half, maybe he gets his sea legs under him. Hopefully, he can stop going out there and getting shelled because this is someone that was acquired as, what, the headliner of that deal. He was probably the best pitcher in that deal at the time of the trade, and it just hasn't worked out for him. He had Tommy John, I believe. He's been trying to work his way back from that. He's been healthy the last couple of years, but whenever he goes out there on the mound, he just hasn't looked that good. So the second half, if the first half goes good, Brent Strom got, got him into shape, and he has a couple of long relief outings that work out well for him. I'm watching out for Corbin Martin either to be a reliable guy out the bullpen, or maybe he takes that spot back from Caleb Smith, and he becomes the number four and number five starter for the D-back. So watch out for Corbin Martin in the second half of the season. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Hopefully, the first part of the podcast went well because uh, I'm probably a little lit if you're listening to the podcast you know, in the first few minutes of the pod, I probably had a couple of beers, hopefully not too many beers. So hopefully I'm coherent and you guys can understand me because I want this to be a great podcast for you. So we'll see if drinking beers in the future before a pod works out. 
I won't know till later. So we'll see what happens, guys. Thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. We'll be back next week with, of course, more Diamondbacks updates and reactions and everything related to the D-backs because baseball season has finally arrived. We are here. It I don't know if it's felt like a long time. Of course, the lockout was a long time. But, guys, we have made it back. Baseball is here. Thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen of the day. Go make Lockdown MLB with my pal Sully Baseball your second listen of the day. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!